Well, uh, if you are going to follow along in your Bibles, uh, I invite you to turn to John chapter 10. Um, we're just, we're pushing through John. Uh, we're we're going to land the plane on whatever season, I think this is season four, we're calling it, of John. So we'll land the plane on that and we'll pick it back up after Easter. But John chapter 10, give you a chance to be there. And uh, I just want to say, um, I grew up in the, in the late 80s, early 90s, and I don't know if you remember this, but um, commercials on television back then were completely unhinged. Like they had, they had no sense of like uh, safety or I, I, they were just different than they are right now. If you watch TV now, you're going to watch a commercial of like, you know, some kid who rented out the, the whole water park by himself and he got to ride every ride by himself. That's cute and all. And I'm sure all the kids are like, yeah, I wish I could do that. But like commercials back when we were around were, were different. Like who remembers the commercial? It was like, it's like every night around nine o'clock at night, this l- l- low, deep voice would come on. It's like, do you know where your children are? And I just want to ask some of the parents who were around back then, did that help you? Like, were your children missing until that commercial came on? You're like, oh, I need to go look for my kids. <laughs> Out wandering the streets again, Billy. Uh, do you know where your children are? Commercials, they, they, were, they were just different. Um, who remembers the one where it was almost wordless? It was just some guy with a frying pan staring at the camera, and he grabs an egg, and he says, this is your brain. This is your brain on drugs. Any questions? It's like this, the, this, the egg is just sizzling. There was nothing but fear there. Uh, I have distinct memories of a child, just like I'd randomly walk through the neighborhood. And I'm like, oh, here's a block of wood. And I'd pick it up and it'd have nails on it. And that commercial would pop in my head. It's like, I think I just picked up drugs. I don't know what's on these nails. And I would just throw it, you know, because, because they were just different uh, back then. But, but they, they had a point. I want to tell you uh, a commercial that may have saved my life. Honestly, this is a true story. But the commercial you may know uh, is uh, something along the lines of uh, just some kids out playing, you know, having having the time of their life. Uh, and then a van pulls up, and somebody's like, "Would you like some candy, kid?" And uh, they 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 all the kids are like, "Oh yeah, maybe. I don't know." And then a, a guy would come on, like, "Don't ever take candy from a strangers. You never know." And so I, I don't know how many times I watched that that commercial as a kid. I just remember it coming up all all the time. True story. When I was about ten or eleven years old, my family. Uh, was on an RV trip. I'm at an RV park in Colorado or Utah, somewhere in one of those two states. I don't know. It's kind of snowy-ish. Um, and I'm, I'm just a kid just wandering around the, the park. I'm having a good time. There's like an arcade thing happening there. There's a cool little driveway thing. And I'm up on the top of this driveway and a car off of the highway pulls up like right next to me. It's a white car, two doors. Um, and the guy from the driver's seat reaches across the scene is, hey, kid. And I'm thinking to myself, I'm thinking he needs directions or something. I'm a helpful guy. You know, I want to help this guy. He says, hey, kid, you want some candy? It's like he was acting out the entire commercial. I'm like, no, bro, I've trained for this my entire life. <laughs> You're not going to get me. And he really had candy in his hand. It was like yellow Starburst, which I mean, just, just trash candy. Uh, and, and I flashed back to that commercial. I screamed like, like I was being attacked and I ran down the hill. That is, that is a true story. I don't want to even begin to think what would happen if I, if I took the candy. The truth is, unfortunately, is that there are threats in this world that we have to watch out for. And there are some people that are trying to warn us of the threat that is up against us, trying to tell us that's the threat and that's not. But candy sounds good. Eggs sound good, you know, but still. Uh, it's a threat. 
And then those of us who are just watching, we don't even see the, the, the potential threat in that. We just maybe dismiss the message. We just give up on it. Um, I'm just telling you, the don't take candy from a stranger commercial may have saved my life. Jesus is holding himself out as one who is sharing a message that a lot of people are like, hey, that's not for me. We don't even need to hear that. And he's trying to save your life. And so we've been walking through John for a while. We're going to land the plane on this like shepherding motif that Jesus brings up. But as we've been walking through the last few weeks of John, we've been trying to ask the question, what is it that Jesus can see that we can't? He can see the way forward, but there's something else that he can see. He can see the threat that is after us. He can see the thing that is trying to take our lives, even if we don't think it's a threat, even if we think, oh, it's just some candy, uh, it is a threat. So we're going to look at that together in John 10. Uh, I would invite you to to turn to that. Uh, We'll start in in verse 1 of that. Um, Where we left off last time, just kind of a way to maybe sum up the last few weeks, is Jesus has had a lot of conversations, and at the end of every conversation, the people are divided. Some are thinking, like, I think he's from God. I think he's telling us the way. Others are saying, no, I think he's, I think he's a maniac. I don't think you can trust him. And every time they're confronted with Jesus, they drift farther and farther in whatever direction they are compelled that Jesus is. Nobody that hears the message of Jesus like, I have not moved one inch in any direction. They move out. And so one way we can maybe sum this up is how can we know that Jesus is who he claims to be? Either He is the one sent from God, and we should realign ourselves with every message that he says. Or he's just another guy that you can take him or leave him. You can dismiss parts of him, but you can't have both. What John does all throughout his gospel is when Jesus does a miracle, he refuses to use the word miracle, and he calls it what? Does anybody remember? We haven't talked about this in a while. John uses the word It's okay. We're all terrified. He uses the word sign, okay? And so signs point to things. Miracles are like, ha he's a magic man, but a sign points to a thing. And so every time Jesus does something that we would consider Jesus-y, John says, hey, that's a sign pointing to this one truth. He actually came from the Father. And so we should, we should weigh that out. So Jesus, in John chapter 10, he seems to be wanting to answer the question that is on everybody's lips is, who are you? Here's what Jesus says, truly, truly, when uh, anytime Jesus starts with truly, truly, it sounds it sounds very Bibly, verily, verily. You know, um, what you should be hearing is when he doubles up truly. He's like, I know it's hard to believe, but this is the truth. You're never going to believe this, but this is the truth. You know, truly, truly, you're never going to believe this. Truly, truly, I say to you, he who does not enter the sheepfold by the door, but climbs in by another way, that man is a thief and a robber. But he who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. So very Jesus moment. Uh, We're going to teach in parables. Anybody here own a sheepfold? Anybody like you left your sheep? You liar. You can't lie behind the camera. Uh, Thank you, Philip. He's not a liar. He's a good guy. Um, A sheepfold is uh, this place. It's a pen. You would leave your sheep in maybe overnight while you handled some other business. And then you would go back to the sheepfold and you would call your sheep out. Like, hey, sheep. I'm your daddy. You probably didn't say that. That's probably not what they said. Uh, and they, they said, come on, come, come follow me. And the sheep that belonged to that shepherd would come out of this pen. They would follow him out. And so Jesus, he's using a parable and he says, just imagine a sheepfold. There are two kinds of people. There's the thief. They're going to climb in the other way. And then there's the actual shepherd, the right shepherd. And he just stands at the door. He's conspicuous. He's 
obvious. He's not trying to hide anything. If, if someone, uh, if you go home later, I hope this doesn't happen, but if you go home later and there's someone who's like looking in like the bedroom window of your house as you pull up and he's like, oh, I was invited here for a barbecue. That's a little fishy, right? Yeah, you, you would agree. Like someone who's like, they're not where they belong. They're acting in a way that's a little sketchy. You would think, oh, that's probably a thief trying to break into my house. And then all the husbands are like, ha game on. Uh, but if there's some guy standing at the door and he's like, hey, I, I thought this was the house for the barbecue, you, you're like, oh, well, that seems right. He's, he's at the door. Jesus is drawing a comparison here. He's saying the one who's really obvious, the one who's not hiding from you right now, he's the real deal. The one who is trying to sneak in and do some stuff, his motivation is damage. Um, one day, uh, I used to work in this building in Beaumont that on the first floor and all the other floors are just random things you could rent out, but several government agencies also rent out suites in this building. Uh, the DEA is in this building, the FBI is in this building, and the ATF is in this building. It's a big black building. Forget the name of it. I think it's called something real generic like Beaumont Towers. And uh, one day, we're having internet problems. I'm on the first floor. I go and I say, hey, we're having internet problems. I'm on the phone with AT&T. Many of you are like, yeah, man, AT&T's been in the news lately. Uh, and AT&T told me on the phone, you need to go to the space where the internet comes into the building and check to make sure your connection is right. I'm like, I'm not that guy. I don't know where that is. I don't even know where this closet is. So I go to the security table and I tell the security guards, like, hey, I'm on the phone with AT&T. Look, you can hear. I'm not making this up. I'm supposed to go to this closet. Where in this building is this closet? He said, oh, that's easy. Go up to the second floor. When the elevator doors open, you're going to see the FBI office right there. Step out of the doors, take a right, go down the hall, take a left, second door on the left, you're fine. It's like, okay, cool. That sounds, that sounds good. I'm, I, I just take this guy for his word. I go to the second floor, doors open, FBI. I don't know if you've ever seen the FBI office doors. Like every office door is a normal door except the FBI office door. It is like a bank vault with a retina looking scanner and like a little peephole. I think they can slide a gun out. It's very secure. The front door of the FBI is in this building. And so I just kind of look at that and thinking, well, I just got on the watch list, but that's okay. And I take the right, I go down the hall, second door on the left, and it's a flimsy little door, like your bathroom door maybe. And I open this door to walk into the IT closet, and I walk straight into the back door of the FBI. Um, I don't know why they have a vault on the front door and a bathroom door on the back door, but it, it just wasn't secure. If you're listening to this, please update your security, and I'm sorry. Um, but... I had to make a choice right then. I could be really nervous, like, oh, you know, just do one of these. Or I can act like I own this place, and I just mustered up all my courage, acted like I own, my, own that place. FBI's waving at me. I'm like, hey, how you doing, John? Something. Uh, and I just, like, with all the confidence I could muster, just looked like I belong. Thank you. Closed the door, and I walked away. I told AT&T, look, you got the wrong guy. I just, I don't want to get arrested. And I really didn't, didn't fix it. The point is this. Um... I walked into the back door of the FBI and got incredibly nervous. I don't belong there. I'm, I'm out of place. I don't belong. And I felt it in me. But the employee of the FBI just goes to the front door. He waves his badge and he's let in. There's something different about the one who belongs there, how he behaves, and the one like me who doesn't belong there, how he behaves. Jesus is saying, look at how I'm behaving right now. I'm standing in the temple and I'm telling you, I am a shepherd. I am the one leading you the, uh, to the right way. Why do you think I'm not trying to hide this? The good shepherd has nothing to hide. He will stand conspicuously in view for all to see and to weigh his claims. The one you need to watch out for is the one who's coming in from all different directions. 
He says about the one who is the good shepherd, he says, to him, the gatekeeper opens. Like that FBI door, you wave the badge. He had the right credentials. To him, the gatekeeper opens. The sheep hear his voice, and he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he has brought out all his own, he goes before them, and the sheep follow him, for they know his voice. Jesus is teaching in parables, but he's kind of laying out what you can expect. The sheep, they hear the shepherd's voice, they know his voice, and he calls them by name. You know, a lot of people, they'll ask questions like, it'll be one of those ask the pastor moments, and it's like, hey, how do I know the Lord is talking to me? How do, I, how do I know? I had someone tell me one time uh, they, were, they were just learning to pray. This is a, an older uh, person uh, who, who had just recently become a Christian. Uh, and, and she said, she says, I'm not to the part where I hear God's voice in my prayers, but I want to be like you one day. I was like, hold time out. Um, I don't know if you know this, and this may be a, a shocker to some of you in here. When, when I pray, there are moments where I, I feel God's leaning. I've never heard an audible voice. I don't know if that makes me less spiritual, but I, I don't think it's like that. But I do think that the Lord knows how to get your attention. When the shepherd calls you by name, he knows how to get your specific attention. He knows how to tell you, you know, this is the moment you need to pay attention to. I don't need to teach you how to listen to God. I need to teach you how to be obedient to what you hear God saying. It says the, the good shepherd knows his sheep individually. Uh, the good shepherd has authority over his sheep. He can say, you will follow me. Why? Because I'm the shepherd. And then it says that he'll go before you. Anybody ever worked for a boss who would never go out and do the work? They just say, hey, you guys go out. You guys can figure it out. You go and do it. No, the good shepherd, the scripture says, will get a sheep together, and then he will step in front of them, and he will go before them and lead the way. Let's continue. It says, verse 5, a stranger... They won't follow. They, it's just some strangers like, hey, I'm your shepherd. No. A stranger, they will not follow, but they will flee from him, for they do not know the voice of strangers. I'm not, I'm not, I don't, I'm not a shepherd myself. I don't really know how sheep act, but I take Jesus at his word that if a random person likes, hey, come follow me, um, they, the sheep are going to run away scared. Any parents in here, you go to, you go to the store? And your kids, I know maybe none in here, but you can imagine a scenario where your kids acted in a way that wasn't acceptable behavior, but because it's public, you had a little extra pressure on you to get them to behave. Anybody know hypothetically what I'm talking about? Yeah, it's so embarrassing because you're like, you have your own kid and you kind of, stop pointing the fingers. Uh, you have your own kid, like this kid's in college, like, ah, oh, it was you. Uh, you have your own kid and you give them a look. You're like, hey, I'm do one of those, and they know how to behave, like just that look right there. Have you ever been in a store and somebody else's kid is behaving and you try to give them that look? You know what doesn't work? <laughs> you look at the kid, they're like, they're like they, they get back at you, and then you get in a fist fight with an eight-year-old. Uh, it, just, it doesn't work because you have no relationship with them. Um, when, it, when I was a, uh, a trainer, I would train foster parents, and they would think like, hey, I know how to raise kids. Look at how well-behaved my biological children are. I don't need any help disciplining them. It's like, okay, why don't you test it out? Go to Walmart and just pick a kid and see how it works out for you, because that's essentially the level of relationship you're going to have when we place a child in your home. Relationship comes first. Then you trust the authority of the person, and then you just behave. It's just, 
It's just how it works. One day, uh, my family and I were, were uh, getting ready to leave on a cruise. Uh, my oldest was very young, and it was crowded, and we had been late, and like kids were hungry and tired. And this Jamaican lady decided she needed to discipline my child uh, in that moment, and she was ready to spank my child right in front of me. I just about lost my mind because uh, that's my job, okay? Uh, don't touch my kid. Don't, don't, don't think... But, she didn't have a relationship with my child. If, if an aunt or someone who knew my child, like, yeah, make him behave, you know, but, but some random lady isn't going to get it done because, because that matters. That relationship matters. Um, just the other day, uh, two days ago, uh, I'm walking out of HEB with my children, just me and my boys. We're walking out with, with slabs of steak because it's man night and we're going to cook some stuff. And as we're walking out, it's night. And this guy is sprinting across with urgency in his eyes and defensive dad mode kicks in because I don't know this guy. I don't have a relationship with him. Uh, it turns out he's the father of someone whose child had been missing. Uh, he, is the, he is the father whose child was missing and he had a flyer. I went from like protect my children mode to I am terrified for you right now because he was looking for his daughter. I'm thankful to say that I saw just last night that uh, they did find his daughter and that she was found safe. But the point is this. In this world is a thief. In this world is a good shepherd. The good shepherd wants what's best for you. The thief has a different motivation for you and wants to destroy you, destroy your family, destroy your promise, destroy your, your purpose. Take it from you so that you've forgotten it and lead you astray. What is it that Jesus can see that we can't? He can see the motivations of the thief and he knows who he is and he knows what he's about. Do you? You don't have that skill to always see which one is the thief, but your shepherd does. Are you following your shepherd or are you trying to do it by yourself? Verse 6, this figure of speech Jesus used with them, but they did not understand what he was saying to them. Anybody else in here just breathe a sigh of relief that sometimes Jesus teaches something, you're like, I don't know what he's talking about. Even the people who are listening to him have a hard time, okay? Uh, Jesus doubles down. He's going to explain it a little more. So Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. He points to himself. All who came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not listen to them. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pastor. He says, if you trust me, I'm going to bring you into the sheepfold for protection. I'm going to lead you out. I'm going to lead you to pastor. You're going to know where to go. Jesus is getting very specific about who he claims to be. Um, imagine you're a sheep for a second. You don't go to college if you're a sheep. You don't have dream. Like every sheep has the same dream. I just want the greenest pasture there is, right? Like, like there's no confusion. They don't know how to find it. Uh, I can show you videos of sheep just like, oh, there's a hole. And then they fall over into the hole and then they're stuck. That's like sheep have problems. But their, their definition of success, of winning, is getting to that pasture. And Jesus says, I'm the good shepherd. If you follow me, I'm going to take you in and out at the right times. I will take you to your pasture. I know what you were designed for. I know what success for you looks like. I was, as I was working on this, I was, I was just thinking about like how the pastor equals success, right? And how everybody has different definitions of success, what, what a win looks like for your life and for my life, et cetera. 
Um, I, think, I think we could probably, you, you test this out. Uh, those of you who, who you're around people a lot, uh, test this out and tell me if this fits because I haven't actually read this, other people say this, but I think we could probably define human behavior in one of two ways. One, it is either the attempt to succeed or two, it is the abandonment that success is possible. Okay, I don't want to overstate it, but I think, I think this is true, that all of human behavior, what your children do, what adults do, what, what just people do in general, is either a, an attempt for them to win, to succeed, or it is them abandoning that I can even succeed. Let me, let me give you an example of how I think that this looks. Imagine uh, a child, maybe a middle school child, uh, is at school and decides, I'm going to go home now. I'm just, it's, it's not time to go home. I'm just going to walk away. And then this child walk, gets up, walks away, goes home, and the parents might ask, like, kid, what were you doing? What were you thinking? Uh, The child's response will probably have one of two directions. It's either going to be, I thought I was allowed to do this, success, or I don't care what anybody thinks, I do what I want. An abandonment that success in school is possible, and I'm just going to do whatever I want. Think about um, maybe a man who uh, is an adult, maybe maybe middle age, uh, starting to or already developing alcoholism, uh, or you can change that to any addiction you like. Uh, they're starting to develop alcoholism, and then someone asks them, maybe in a therapy session or a, a, a confidant or friend, it's like, "What what are you doing, man? You're you're really going too far down that road." And their response will either be an attempt at success. This helps me feel comfortable. It lowers my anxiety. It helps me have social moments with people. It, it just, I get more creative. I get more fun. They're defining success that way. Or it is, I can't go without it. I'm a complete abandonment that success is possible. I'm done trying. I'm just, this is my life now and I'm going to own it. That behavior might be able to be defined as an attempt at success or an abandonment that success is possible. I'm thinking about the adult who is working way too much, too many hours, uh, maybe maybe stepping away from their family more than they need to so that they can get this job done. And if you talk to them, it depends on kind of at what stage they're at. They may say something like, oh, look, I need to provide for my family. I need to, I need to get bills paid. I need to make sure that they are taken care of. That's an attempt at success. Or if they've been doing that for too long and the family's already started fracturing, they may say something like, I can't win here but I am successful over there. I, a full abandonment that success at home is possible. Is this, is this metaphor making sense at all? Some of you are like, yo, Jesse, like psychology, you know? Uh, I'm going to give a few more examples. Uh, I think about the person who, uh, really is, is, is too far into like isolation, isolationism, removing themselves from people. And it may be at first an attempt to control their surroundings. And then later, a full abandonment that they'll ever be able to be around people. I'm thinking about the man or the woman, the, the young person of, of either gender who's wrestling with pornography. And they say, you know what, I, I want intimacy and I want joy. But then later they find that I'm stuck and I'll never have intimacy with another person. So this way is easier. An attempt at success or an abandonment that success is possible. And I can go down the list. Aggression and violence, uh, avoidance, excessive self-criticism. Like every behavior we want or don't want might be able to be summed up in success, an attempt at it, or uh, a complete giving up, abandonment that success is possible. And here's what Jesus just promised. I'm the shepherd. If you follow me, I will lead you to that pasture. I will lead you to the success that you were meant for. What does that mean? That means to the person in here that is wanting to succeed at life, the gospel offers truth. 
And that truth may redefine what success really is. What if you're not right about success? What if you're not right about right? What if you're not right about winning? And Jesus, in loving kindness, as a good shepherd says, that's not your pastor, but I got a pastor over here, brother. Give up on that. Stop chasing that because that's going to be a poison to you. Come over here. The gospel might redefine your definition of success. To the person in here that has just given up, you're on your last rope. You're like, I'm, I'm abandoning everything. The gospel offers grace. You have not put yourself in a hole so big that the gospel won't rescue you from it. We just sang the song that said that. He's going to kick down the wall. He's going to break down the prison door. If you want to be led by the good shepherd, all you need to do is ask, and he will bring you in and out, protect you, and send you on your way, send you to the real pastor that you were defined for. I'm all like one page in. Okay, uh, verse 10. Uh, The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. What is the motivation of the thief? The one who's sneaking around, the one who's telling you lies. They're trying to steal, they're trying to kill, and they're trying to destroy you. They, They will see you fail. They will rob you of your attempts at success. They will point you to pastors that will be your poisons. They will bring you into places that get you farther and farther away from the good shepherd. But the good shepherd says, I came that they may have life, but not just any life, not just getting by life, life abundantly. That's a good promise. In the hands of the thief, you will lose your way. You'll lose your truth. You'll lose your life. The thief uh, is this fake shepherd, and his motivation is that you fail, that you are destroyed, and that the good shepherd loses contact with you. But Jesus, he's this good shepherd, and he abundance not just li- offers not just life, but abundant life. And he happens to be standing conspicuously at this front door for everybody to see. I'm not trying to sneak around, I'm not trying to talk to you. Hey, come over here, let's have a talk real quick privately. He's just publicly letting you know some things about him. Sometimes people will say things like, Jesse, that sermon was just for me. That's not me. That's the good shepherd. The good, the sheep hear his voice and they call him. I'm thankful that he used me in that way. If this, if any sermon, the sermon or any other is like, I needed to hear that. That's the good shepherd trying to get your attention. That's how he works through the body of his people. When someone grabs you in the hallway, it's like, Hey, I just, you know, I just felt the need to pray for you for blank, 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 blank. Why did they even know? Why did they even know? Because they are the body of Christ acting in that way. Verse 11. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. He who is a hired hand and not a shepherd, who does not own the sheep, sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees. And the wolf just has a blast, snatches them and scatters them. Wolves be acting wolfy, sheep be acting sheepy. Okay, that's, that's what that is. And there's a wolf that just wants to scatter you, wants to make a meal out of you, because you're just a tasty snack, okay? That, that means something different today, but he, uh, he, he wants to snatch you and scatter you and destroy you. Verse 13, he flees because he is a hired hand, this, this not good shepherd. He's a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. But Jesus says, I am the good shepherd. I know my own and my own know me just as the father knows me and I know the father and I lay down my life for the sheep. Not only is he a good shepherd, he's the kind of shepherd that will go to battle against the wolf on your behalf. Are you following that shepherd? 
Are you out there trying to do it on your own? Sheep, they wander off, don't they? Sheep don't always know the way. Jesus will exchange the death we earned, and he didn't, for the righteousness he earned and we don't deserve. Do, do, do you see that? The good shepherd is willing to lay down his life to give his sheep abundant life, but the sheep have earned death. He didn't earn the death, and instead we get his righteousness. That's the promise of the gospel. We don't earn any of the righteousness. We don't, quote, deserve the righteousness like little brats, um, but he gives it to us freely. Verse 16, And I have other sheep that are not of this fold. I must bring them also, and they will listen to my voice. So there will be one flock and one shepherd. Jesus is hes talking to a bunch of Jewish people in the temple. It's a very Jewish moment. And so just in case they were thinking the only flock that can be a part of this overall flock are Jewish people who understand Jewish scriptures. Jesus says, i got other sheep that aren't even on this. I'm going to go out there. I'm going to get them. If you're in here and you're a Christian and you did not grow up Jewish, Jesus was talking about you and your people, that we would have a flock that follows Jesus, that isn't all just one monochromatic color, but like with spots and different, different baths, you know, like just different accents in their baths. Uh, they, they, they came from different holes, different prisons, different, different, just like some of them with horns, some of them brown, some of them white. Jesus is envisioning this flock that the creator of the universe will bring back together from wherever corner they found themselves in and be one flock. Jesus is saying in this moment, that he's about to fulfill the promises that were made to Abraham and to David and to so many other people in the Old Testament. Jesus, Jesus is holding out some big, big hope right here. The whole point of all of Scripture is that a day would come in which people could freely choose to follow the shepherd and would have life abundant. And you and I who call ourselves Christians are living within that promise. Jesus says, I'm the one who fulfills that promise because our God is a promise-fulfilling God. Verse 17, for this reason, the father loves me because I lay down my life that I may take it up again. He's already starting to hint like I will lay down my life in front of that wolf, but I have the authority to pick it right back up again. Nobody's going to take it from me. Verse, actually, verse 18, let me just read what he says. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down and I have authority to take it up again. This charge I have received from my father, this charge, this mission. Jesus is saying that the Father sent me on this. I'm the good shepherd. I'm going to lay down my life, and I have the authority to take it up again. At this moment, we're about we're in the winter before the cross. The cross is spring, right? You know, Easter is in spring. Easter for us is just a month away, by the way. The cross is Jesus dying on the cross. And three days later, uh, spoiler alert, uh, he, he raises again. <laughs> he comes back to life. He lays down his life, and he has the authority to take it up again. Three months before that event, Jesus is already telling in a public space, I'm going to lay down my life and I'm going to pick it right back up again. It's not going to stop me. You can follow me, the shepherd, forward. Verse 19, there was again a division among the Jews because of these words. Many of them said, he has a demon and is insane. He's a maniac or he works for the devil. Why listen to him? Verse 21, others said, these are not the words of one who is oppressed by a demon. Can a demon open the eyes of the blind? If you were here last week, you heard about Bob and how Jesus gave Bob sight again. And the people are still thinking about that. And they're like, how is it that he would even have the power to do that? 
Some are saying he's insane and he has a demon. Others are saying, I think he is the one he claims to be. Nobody can just stand still. C.S. Lewis, uh, he wrote about this. I've referenced it before in other sermons, but he's like, you really only have three choices with Jesus. He's either a liar, a lunatic, or Lord. Those are the three choices you have with Jesus. These men who are divided, they're having the same conversation. He has a demon. He's insane. Others are like, no, I think he's the Lord. Here's how C.S. Lewis wrote it. Listen to this. Because he's, I can't do a British accent, but he's so smart. (laughs) A man who was merely a man would not be a great moral teacher. He would either be a lunatic on the level with a man who says he is a poached egg, or else he would be the devil of hell. You must make your choice. Either this man was and is the Son of God, or else a madman or something worse. You can shut him up for a fool, you can spit on him and kill him as a demon, or you can fall at his feet and call him Lord and God. But let us not come with any patronizing nonsense about his being a great human teacher. He has not left that open to us. He did not intend to. Now, it seems to me obvious that he was neither a lunatic nor a fiend, and consequently, however strange or terrifying or unlikely it may seem, I have to accept the view that he was and is the Son of God. What do you do with this man who claims to be the good shepherd? He is, from my where I sit, the Son of God. I would invite you to meditate on this as we close out. You will find abundant life only by following Jesus. I can't make it clearer than that. You may attempt to find pastors and to find success differently, but the success that you are designed to have, the success that is right for you, the success that will ultimately be the only one that satisfies you, will only be found in following Jesus. Maybe you're here and you're like, hey, I've never been a part of a flock. I'm not a Christian. And what are you talking about? Um, if you're outside of the flock, the world might look to you threatening or lonely or random or chaotic. I just want you to know, if you confess Jesus as your Lord and begin following him, he will bring you into his flock and he will lead you around in and out and into the pasture that you were designed for. The world will look safer, will be you'll be more protected, uh, and life will be less chaotic. But, you know, uh, not only is it non-Christians that need to hear this message, because some of us, we've been Christians for a while, but you know what? We've been wandering like a, like a sheep, just sheeping around, uh, sheeping around, uh, maybe <laughs> uh, if that's you if, you, if you've been wandering around, the world might feel uh, not chaotic, just hopeless. It might feel like you've, you've messed up too much. You've let your good father down, your good shepherd down, and the world might feel dark or full of enemies and boogeymen everywhere. And, you know, the news is telling you everything you're supposed to be afraid of. And you are, in fact, afraid of everything the news says to be afraid of. And it's just like, oh, the world's going to burn down. The world hasn't burned down from the last 10 presidents we voted for. It's not going to be the next one. And, and if that's you, like you're just like, I am a member of this flock, but I haven't been following for a while. Can I just invite you? Like following the shepherd is a daily thing. You just say, hey, Jesus, take me back. Jesus later at another time, he tells this parable of leaving the 99 to get the one that went away. We just sang a song, Reckless Love by Corey Asbury about the same thing. It's okay. If you are a Christian, it's just like, I just, I need realignment. I don't know how. Can I just start with ask him for help? The sheep hear his voice. He calls them by name and they follow him. 
these phrases like, oh, I've let him down. That's a lie. Uh, but the thing uh, I've got over here seems so much better. This is success. This is my pastor. That's, that's a lie. Um, maybe you're like, oh, you know what? I will, I'm, I'm good right now. I'll do my own thing uh, just for a season. And then whenever I get tired of that or you know, I get out of college, then I'll come back to him. That's a lie. These are ways that the thief is trying to lure you away. Where do you need to follow the shepherd today? Where do you need to follow him right now? It's impossible to read this. Uh, without thinking of Psalm 23. He claims to be the good shepherd. Psalm 23 opens with, for the Lord is my shepherd. Is the Lord your shepherd today and yesterday? Or was it just like 10 years ago and you kind of like, yeah, I got a different shepherd right now. You can, you can get back to him. But I would invite you, like, go and read Psalm 23 for a second. Where's that shepherd leading everybody? The Lord is my shepherd. He leads me to green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He leads me through the valley of the shadow of death, but he goes before me. His rod and his staff, they comfort me. The things that the Lord does to discipline you become things that comfort you. And then he guides you to the table before your enemies and says, come sit with me and feast while your enemies just do whatever they're going to do. I've got them at bay. I protect them for surely goodness and mercy will follow you for the rest of your days. That's what we're talking about here. This is what it means to follow Jesus and to have life abundantly. Let me pray for us and then we'll be dismissed. Heavenly Father, uh, we come to you as sheep that need a shepherd. And so, Lord, for those of us who uh, follow you and we just, we've just built a history of following you step by step, Lord, would you continue to lead us? Would you continue to light our path just to the next step to bring us in, to bring us out, to bring us to success uh, that you define for us? to protect us. Lord, for those of us who we've wandered away or those of us who have never been a part of your flock, Lord, would you guide us to the good shepherd? Would we hear his voice, that nagging, attention-getting, can't-shake-it feeling? Lord, would you would you light that up? Would you bring more back to you and protect them? Lord, we love you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.